1: Thanks for joining us. I'm Tom Lurie, your host for today. I'm coming to you from the Salem Radio Network Studios in the San Francisco Bay Area. Today, we're going to be focusing on communications, messaging, presenting, and we have uh, one of the top people in the country today as our guest mentor. She is Nancy Duarte. She is the CEO of Duarte which focuses on communications here in the Bay Area, and she's well known to the folks in the world of startups in all different domains. She is also well known for her three best-selling books, which include Resonate, which is about visual stories that transform audiences, which we're gonna be talking about today. Slideology, about how to create great presentations, which we'll also be covering a little bit of that, and Illuminate, which has to do with the roller coaster ride of building a company. And it's a personal journal of hers as she built Duarte. She also wrote the HBR Guide to Persuasive Presentations. And she recently released a free ebook that you can find called Slide Docs, which fills the gap between cinematic slides and dense documents. Duarte Design is the largest design firm in Silicon Valley and the fifth largest female employer in the area. She has received the award for the Mountain View Woman of the Year. She was awarded Microsoft's MVP award for her work to help people excel with Microsoft PowerPoint, so she knows all about death by PowerPoint. She is also named Entrepreneur of the Year by USM. She'll have to explain to me what the acronym means, and Communicator of the Year in 2007-2008, and a member of the invitation-only group C200 and she was featured on a cover of Toastmasters on the July 2014 issue, and she is a graduate of the Anderson School of Management at UCLA, which is close to my heart. My daughter went there, and I was also a guest lecturer at the Anderson School. Hi, welcome, Nancy.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me.
1: What is the CM, USM, U.S. University uh, of
2: the Entrepreneur? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting story because I was, I left University of Southern Mississippi, which is in Ah. Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. So I went to high school and a year of college there. I was, um, my upbringing was pretty brutal. And so my first and only year of college was at University of Southern Mississippi. And believe it or not, I got a C minus in English and a D in, I got a D in English and a speech minus in speech communications. And I got so discouraged, I dropped out and got married when I was 18 years old. And 25 years later, the university gave me Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And it's an award that people like Ross Perot and you know, like different entrepreneurs have won. And so it kind of like filled this little hole in my soul. You know, you quit something, you, you it takes a while to kind of get over it, right? I'm such a finisher. And so just the circumstances at the time, I... I didn't have the stamina or emotional ability to stick with it. And so, yeah, so my UCLA degree, believe it or not, my client Cisco paid for me to get my degree from UCLA, and they let my running a successful business for 25 years count as my undergrad, and they let me skip straight to a master's. So it's just awesome. I love that. That happened to me. So it's not been without a lot of hard work, but that's what all those acronyms are.
1: So you probably know my good friend Dominique Hansen's down there at UCLA. I
2: don't. I'm so sorry. It was the
1: chair of the marketing department.
2: Mike Hansen's.
1: He's from Belgium. Okay. Well, we can let that go. So when you said you were a finisher, what does that really mean?
2: I think that I, I come up with ideas. So a lot of leaders come up with the idea and then they have to rally people to finish the idea. I think a lot of people do things like they talk about starting a business, but they give up. They talk about writing a book, but they give up. Like when I really feel that I have that kind of burning in my soul to get something done, I, I take it across the finish line and it's finished very well and beautifully and winsomely, I think.
1: And where does that come from? Do.
2: I don't know because I, I I was kind of bred to be a quitter. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I, I think it's for me. It's I, I don't know. I, I'm like I'm in the middle of a of a big deadline right now. I've kind of come up with this very beautiful way. To convey um, and communicate how to learn how to be a great communicator, and I'm just like I'm. It's almost like I wind up feeling like my hair is on fire. I, it's just this self-imposed pressure. So this weekend, because we're also moving into a new building, I was like, okay, I need to quit being so hard on myself. I can I can move my own deadline, <laughs> you know. But once I get in my mind that it has to be finished by a date, and that's kind of what you have to do when you're a creator of content. You have to create these false deadlines or else you'll never really get anything done and so i'm not exactly sure where that came from Uh, my son is that way very much so he's um you know he'll work two jobs to reach a goal so i think i'm pretty goal oriented
1: and what was your inspiration uh when you were younger in particular obviously you said you had a a tough background yeah you got out of it. it you went on you did great things you're entrepreneur of the year the MBA out of UCLA. What what has uh, inspired you along the way?
2: I think I, I think oddly. This is going to sound really weird. I think some of my coping mechanism as a kid uh, created uh, this uh, an ability to be an entrepreneur. So, like, we didn't have any school clothes, so I raked all the leaves in the neighborhood and bought whole things from Salvation Army, <laughs> or instead of playing with dolls, I, I knew I wanted to be opposite of everything I saw modeled for me. So instead of playing with dolls, I found an old abandoned desk, and I sat at this desk, and I worked hard. Like, I, I worked hard, and, and I made a difference in my life. That that was my imagined state. And and I would escape in my head, and I would imagine this alternate future for myself that was very much opposite to the one I was, my current reality. So I think my ability to actually see this future, like, we're an, I'm an organization that's been through seven transformations, my own firm. We've been around 30 years. I've actually trans, We've actually transformed seven times. So this ability that a leader has to be able to anticipate the future rally everybody together to get to the right place in the future. Because your customers, your partners, your employees, we're all in different places in the future. So you need to kind of anticipate it and get there. So I think, believe it or not, this escape mechanism I had of imagining myself in this alternate reality were actually what has been a muscle that's been very important to me as an entrepreneur, is is imagining this alternate reality that's this opportunity.
1: And with regards to your life outside of work, do you have any particular activities that you do that you
2: escape to? I do. So I hike a lot. Um and that and that's important to me. So there's this moment on a hike, if it's a 2-hour hike, about an hour in where my mind finally quiets. Like I will solve all of the world's problems in my first hour of my hike. I mean, I'm <laughs> I've solved everything. And then finally I get to this place where I quiet down and just kind of feel empty and that's the best part of the whole hike. So, yeah, I've I've had to build in little kind of coping mechanisms and ways to, um, you know, quiet myself because it takes a lot of energy to be an entrepreneur. It takes a lot of, you know, m- mind and heart and all of that. So I, I also took my first staycation, stayed at home, and it was lovely. Oh, my goodness. It was so lovely. Taught my grandson how to swim and it was just beautiful. And so I think, kind of programming moments of beauty into my day and into my life has been really important.
1: Well, that's really a great story and we're going to cut away for a break and when we come back we'll continue our discussion with Nancy Duarte of Duarte Design, one of the leading communicators in the United States.
3: Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org
4: imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work no commute no traffic you set your own hours full-time or part-time your choice supplement your income replace your income it's up to you hoping can help you get there these aren't empty promises when katherine a popular hairstylist back east became ill and needed different work she became part of the Hope and a Can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near-retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now toll-free to learn more. 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-HOPE. Or go to HopeInACan.com. That's HopeInACan.com. HopeInACan.com.
5: Because you're active in your church, you may have wondered, how can we maintain the quality of our stained glass windows? What is their value? What would repairs cost? You can get a no-cost analysis of your church's stained glass windows at WilletHauser.com to help you make the best decisions for restoration or new windows. A free inspection and evaluation of your church's windows by the Willard Hauser Artisans can answer your questions over 120 years of stained glass design and restoration experience.
0: Willetthauser.com. And now back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about
1: life and business. This is Tom Laurie. Uh, we're speaking with Nancy Duarte of Duarte Design. And for those who may have missed the first part of the program, you can catch us on iTunes or the podcast. You can go to our website, which is the mentorsradio.com, uh And you can listen to us 24-7. So if you've missed anything, uh, please make a note and come back and uh, listen to us. Uh, Nancy, we were just talking about your background and what... Uh, how you grew up and the tough life you've had and how you overcame all of that and the fact that you created kind of a alternative fantasy land to grow up in for <laughs> yourself.
2: Fantasy land, I guess.
1: <laughs> and your activities. What, what is the, uh, the one, if you were to share one key lesson that you've learned on your journey with our audience, what would that be?
2: I think that it would be empathy. I think that when you obsess, and leaders have to. So this is a leader's job, is to obsess about the future, because that's our role, is to protect us from the unknown, to pr- to make sure we're headed the right direction, and all that. That's a very future-facing function, and which made me a little less present, makes me a lot less present. So I married a man that's very present, you know? And so being so future-facing, uh, having empathy is a very present thing to do. So I've I've had to work hard at Understanding that not everyone else is way out there in the future and that I need to actually figure out ways to become present. So a lot of my body of work, uh, both Resonate and Illuminate, are models to help leaders understand empathy. Empathetically, it's a lot about putting your audience first putting what we call your travelers first when you're on a journey going into the future. The people that come with you are your travelers, really understanding what they need emotionally, really understand what they need communicatively. Um, and so that's, that's actually my own uh, uh, future focus. Um, you know makes me a bit less empathy I think I'm a heartfelt communicator but I was I didn't have as much empathy as I needed to have to be really really effective and so that to me is what my biggest uh, quest has been has been a quest for empathy
1: well that's a good segue and we're going to come back to some of the other aspects of your life but uh, since you're talking about the audience and empathy and a large part of your work has to do with messages and messaging and storytelling and presentation and you talk about a three-legged stool uh in communication could you share with our audience a little bit about that three-legged stool
2: yeah uh the the seat itself is your audience uh, is empathy right um but the three legs of a communication stool are the content the you know or the message Uh, how you choose to visually display that, and then how you deliver it. So those are the three kind of pegs that uh, empathy should sit on. Everything should be done through the lens of the audience. So um, that's what we have here as a practice where we will write this compelling and persuasive um, presentation that's based in story principles um, and then visualize it in a very conceptual, metaphorical, beautiful, cinematic way um, and then um, help you deliver it. And
1: these presentations or this methodology—what? Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us some of the companies you've done some work for, and what role you've played in their communication
2: strategy. Yeah, well, some companies we can't. Right. Discuss. <laughs> so we we actually did an Inconvenient Truth. So we worked with Al Gore. We've actually helped transform uh, visuals, uh, the way visuals are done for TED. We started on that like nine years ago. But we do help work with really big brands, um, Cisco, Qualcomm, Google, Facebook, Airbnb even. Um, just beautiful, lovely brands. We work with automobile. We work with finance. Just almost every vertical you could think of. We work with the number one or the number two plan in every vertical. So it's been an honor. I mean, we've been at this now for 30 years and it has just been an honor to be the go to people that helps people with the spoken word. So if you think about all the, all the effort people put into advertising and marketing, when it's a B2B sale, all of that energy goes into getting the right people in a room together to talk to each other and possibly more than likely have a deck of slides. So to be the ones that have that last moment where people in the room and they get to connect at a very human level, that's amazing. Whether it's selling or uh, persuading or even, even running a meeting, <laughs> even project managing or something, it's just so fun to kind of you know, feel like we have a part of being in the room where it happens.
1: Now, Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos are noted as great presenters. Uh, what is it that we can learn from them from your perspective?
2: Uh, Jeff Bezos and who?
1: Steve Jobs.
2: So um, I think um, Bezos is um, very interesting. He one of the things he did that I really admire is he um, he banned PowerPoint from meetings, which is weird coming from the presentation lady. But they started this concept of doing a six-minute memo, and every meeting starts out where you read for six minutes in prose, a well thought through statement about what you're going to talk about. So everyone comes in and then they all get on the same page quickly. So you can read like three times faster than someone talks to you. So you get through the content right away and then you use the rest of the time to build consensus and make decisions. I think that's brilliant. I, I love that. Now I contend, he thinks it's all should be in Word, but I contend that you should have a six page slide doc. So there's another online book I wrote called Slide Docs where it, it talks about using presentations as a visual memo, as a visual document. So I think they should be visual. I wouldn't go to Power. I wouldn't go to uh, Word. I would go to presentation software to make a really dense visual memo. Um, so I, I really admired that, um, that about him and how he transformed his culture to be super productive um, by actually using um, not using presentation software. Um, Jobs is interesting. I have transcribed uh, every public speech that he delivered and studied it. I looked at uh, the words, choices, who he was talking to, why he did it. I tracked How often did they laugh? How often did they clap? How often did they gasp? You know, because those are physical reactions to his content. And he has people physically reacting in some way in about 20 second increments, 20 to 30 second increments, which is really hard to do. So he's just a master communicator. And I I, I think there's going to be room. There's a big gap between him and almost everyone else. And there's room for people to rise and fill that gap. Um, but I I definitely I wouldn't say I've obsessed over over how he communicates but and we've played a bit of a role in um in the presentations over there. Um but it it's really awesome um to see um how he's codified everything and even though sometimes he's positioned as not being empathetic, when you go back and you really look at um at how he said things, why he said things and how he framed things. It was brilliant. It was just brilliant.
1: Um, And you can still uh, you can access some of that online, can't you?
2: Oh yeah, he's got a lot of them. Um, He's got a lot of them online, but
1: yeah, it's fun. Well, we're going to come back. I want to. I have more another question or two about Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Uh, I want to remind our audience that you can take the mentors with you wherever you go and whenever you want. We are available via, via podcast on iTunes, whether you have an Android or an iPhone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Mentors Radio Show. You can also call us and ask questions, which we will take on air at 844-610-TALK. 844-610-TALK. We'll be back after the break.
6: My name is Nick Jordan. I'm the founder of Wells of Life. I'm here to tell you that there are 10 million people in Uganda without access to clean water. Imagine your water comes from a stream or pond shared with animals. Imagine that this water is loaded with parasites and disease. Each day, you have to walk three miles to fetch this because it's all the water there is. So what can you do about this? The great news is you can do a lot. Go to Wells of Life. Dot net and make a personal donation. Talk to your family, church, or company about funding your own well. Every penny goes to fund your well and will bring water and life to as many as a thousand parishioners in rural Uganda for up to 20 years. In this jubilee year of mercy, why not make this your act of mercy? In Jesus' name. Go to wellsoflife.net and make a personal donation. Wellsoflife.net
7: All Catholics are invited to join the Young Catholic Professionals, YCP for short, National Movement. One of the nation's fastest-growing Catholic organizations, with chapters in 15 cities nationwide and international interest, YCP was founded by peers to inspire young professionals to work in witness for Christ. YCP's programs are designed to help young people at every stage of the journey to grow as Catholics and as professionals. Our members use their experience to become ambassadors of the faith in the public square, forming tomorrow's leaders to step forward in their communities, parishes, and workplaces. There's an opportunity for Catholics of all ages to get involved. Visit our website, youngcatholicprofessionals.org, youngcatholicprofessionals.org, to learn more about how you can get involved in this exciting apostolate. That's youngcatholicprofessionals.org, youngcatholicprofessionals.org.
8: Attention salespeople. Are you struggling trying to make sales on a daily basis so you can earn more money and enjoy a better lifestyle? Are you sick and tired of prospects telling you they want to think about it and not being able to pay your bills? End all that now by going to www.MinutesToSales.com and sign up for my free webinar. Hello, I'm Jeff Motter and I regularly hear from salespeople and business owners who are struggling to get more sales because they don't know how to sell in a clear and convincing way. And that was me when I started out in sales more than 35 years ago. I knew I had a great product that made people's lives better but for some reason, I just didn't know how to tell people about it in a clear and convincing way. I couldn't even close the door, so to speak. But all that changed when I cracked the code. Since then, I've helped hundreds of people to understand the process and be able to sell at will. If you'd like to start making more sales immediately, sign up for my free webinar at www.minutestosales.com where you can experience for yourself my simple, amazing process and see how it instantly improves your sales ability. Go to www.minutestosales.com today and sign up for my free webinar. Talk to you soon.
5: Because you're active in your church, you may have wondered, how can we maintain the quality of our stained glass windows? What is their value? What would repairs cost? You can get a no-cost analysis of your church's stained glass windows at WilletHauser.com to help you make the best decisions for restoration or new windows. A free inspection and evaluation of your church's windows by the Willethauser Artisans can answer your questions. Over 120 years of stained glass design and restoration experience. WilletHauser.com
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: This is Tom Laurie. we're talking with Nancy Duarte, the founder and CEO of Duarte Design, one of the most important communication firms here in the Bay Area. And we also have, uh, she also has written a number of books on communication. She's a communications expert uh, Nancy, I'd like to go back. In our last segment, we talked uh, a little bit about Jeff Bezos, and I want to be clear. And I did uh, listen to a v- audio tape with John Dor from Kleiner Perkins, who sits on the board of Amazon. He talked a little bit about how Bezos doesn't like to use uh, PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone comes into me. They've written something that they share with every. Or this is. Uh, a meeting, I guess, a uh, intercompany meeting, but they've written something that they share with the other people. So they know people in the room know what they're going to talk about. Is that what I heard you say?
2: Yeah, it's a It's a six page memo. And he just thinks that people should form their ideas in full, full sentences, which I agree with some, I mean, I hope they're written super tight. So instead of someone getting up for an hour and blathering about a topic for an hour, like a briefing, you can actually, if you write a tight document, you can get through it in about six minutes. So everyone gets through the content quickly that needs to all be brought onto the same page. And they use the difference of that meeting, of the hour, to actually build consensus and discuss uh, what they talked about and drive decisions. Ah, got I agree it. with it.
1: So with so he pu- he puts out a topic for discussion or a decision that has to be made and that everyone... Uh, writes this uh, six-page uh, document and brings it to the meeting, and they actually read it in the meeting, or they read it before the meeting.
2: Yes, yeah, it's, it's just not him. It's everyone, like yeah, right. people at the company. Yeah, so yeah. he does it. A manager will do it. It's just uh, uh, he feels it's more effective, whereas I contend it would be more effective if it was a six-page slide doc. Um, because then you can visualize more quickly. It's, it's a we're more comfortable visualizing in a tool like PowerPoint or Keynote than we are in uh, Word form, in long form. So anyway, but yeah, I I think it's effective. But I think distributing a a slide doc is is um, possibly more effective. I, I just wrote a piece about that. It'll be up on my LinkedIn uh, influencer article soon.
1: No, I recently saw a. Webinar that you guys had out there called Beyond Mm -hmm. the Cluttered Slide, which talked about Mm -hmm. slide docs. Is that a shorter version of what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, there's a webinar about it. But if you go to slidedocs.com, it's a book that I wrote in PowerPoint because the whole concept is, yeah, you can stand up and have very visual cinematic slides, but slides are also how we can, it's like the lingua franca of, um, of a culture. So much information is transferred and conveyed, and then the really great slides breed like bunnies within an organization. They just take off like a fire. So, So making them all cinematic, I think, is a deterrent from actually using it as a really cool, effective visual tool. So I contend that You can actually make really, really dense slides if they're supposed to travel around without the help of a presenter, and you can actually, um, you know, have a multi... They look like um, magazine spreads almost. You can put a lot of dense information in them and use them as a sales tool, sales enablement tool. You know, people don't talk about collateral brochures. They don't use that language anymore because most of that's transferred to PowerPoint and Keynote and tools like that, so... So it's, it's a provocative way of saying make your slides either super, super dense and use it as a document or make your slides super, super sparse and use it as a visual aid. So I'm trying to polarize those two things.
1: Well, I'll have to go and see that. I talked to you briefly yeah, before we session. went on air about the challenges of working with people that are very technical. Yeah, and we I think that about. solves that solves some of that problem. Now, uh-huh. w- when you look, I mean, one of the pet peeves, and I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs over the years And this thing about uh, creating a slide, a slide doc is a separate, uh, a a new Mm -hmm. thing to look at, but let's just talk about the classic slides. And when I, uh, and I get, I probably get five or six of these uh, uh, PowerPoints that people want me to look at every month and critique. And Mm -hmm. it's clear to me that, um, first of all, most people don't really know how to use PowerPoint or how to use it effectively. Secondly, uh, there's a, tendency, I think, where people want to tell you something, tell you some more and tell you some more. And so they beat, beat you up in the process. And that gets into then how they communicate and, uh, you know, the overuse of bullets and not keeping a lot, having a lot of white space. Maybe you could talk about some of the visual elements of a good presentation when we're talking about the slide part of it.
2: Yeah, I'm actually, that's a little body of work that I'm working on right now because I came up with the acronym uh, SPACE. Um, and it's like the design principles for non-designers. So the F stands for simplify. You need to only have one idea per slide. And so many times these really dense slides are trying to convey five things. So the first thing to simplify is you either split it across multiple slides, like slides are free, practically, like there's no cost to them. You just spread your idea out over multiple slides. Or you can move, um, you know, some of your content into your notes or just delete it if it's not that important. So sim- first thing you have to simplify your content and then you need to plan. You need to say, hmm, if this is the idea I want for this slide, let me conceptually think about that idea for a while. So wh- what happens is, like, before we came on the air, we were talking about these analytical types, pharma people, like anybody in a really, engineers are like this, finance people are. They're in a modality of being analytical. And what you need to do when you're in the process of making a persuasive presentation is you need to go into a creative and creative modality. So the P is planning. You need to plan and ideate and create whatever it is that supports that idea. And then the next thing you need to do is arrange everything. You've got to find all the elements and then arrange them in a way that actually conveys information the way you want to. What, what's the right visual weight? What's the right content hierarchy on this slide to make sure they process it in the order they're supposed to? So once you finish that, those first three, three steps, Then you go into a different modality. Then you need to check for the C in space, which is consistency. If all your graphics look completely different, they're in different colors, they're in different fonts, you're asking people to process an extra layer of information. So by making everything consistent, keep it all the same fonts, keep it all on the same color palette, keep the photography all looking like it's in the same spirit of photography, keep all the data charts plotted in a similar way, all that consistency, you're removing some complexity.
1: Now, some people may not understand what you mean I do, but uh, color palette, how important,
2: Yeah, what is that all about? Yeah, so keeping the colors consistent, keeping the illustration style consistent. Well, and then what's interesting is then when you get to the E of eye flow, that's where you start to work in shades of colors. Let's say there's one thing that's really important, and you're on a white background, that should be in a darker shade of a color. But if you want it to be less important, you would put it in a lighter shade of the same color. So some things blend into the background and some things are in the foreground. So as you start to check for eye flow, yeah, maybe you'll be consistent in the colors, but when you check for eye flow, that's when you'll work with, um, you know, the visual weight. And then you you can actually run your finger across the slide, process it, and say, well, this is the way my eye is flowing across the elements. Then you need to ask yourself, is was that intentional, or do I need to change how I just arranged my deck? Um, so that's kind of like you just need to make it simple.
1: And the colors that can... When you say palette, I know they have palettes of colors where they can be complementary or contrast or whatever, but you try to use, I I believe, I mean you're the expert, uh, a palette that's going to um, uh, draw the eye in and not confuse people. I, I, I was thinking of a slide where somebody used a kind of a blue, an aquamarine blue that just kind of pops out, but it didn't seem to fit the slide. But from what I understand, a palette has to mean it is consistent, but it also mm-hmm. has some complementarity to it.
2: Right, right. You could use complementary colors, analogous colors, but just keep using them the same way. A lot of our palettes, will create a palette that has five colors to it and then, tint, then um, tints of those colors. And then we'll have a couple of neutrals, like a shade of gray, so that you could cha- you know, make things blend into the background or make them pop off more dark. Now, there's a real, I mean, it's an art, and but there's also some science to it. Like, that's why slideology, I call it the art and science. Some of it's subjective, but most of it's not. You're actually working within a system, just like an ecosystem. Your presentation works just like that.
1: Well, I want to get back to that in a second. We're going to cut to break. And for those of you who have just joined us, you can find us at www.thementorsradio.com. Uh, and hear the entire show in its entirety, and call me at 844-610-TALK if you have questions you'd like to ask. 844-610-TALK.
9: In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why. This is a church, a church
5: that might be like yours, with beautiful stained glass windows. Through the years, time and weather took their toll, so the people in this church went online and found Willett Hauser Architectural Glass. Willet did a free inspection and evaluation of the church's windows. Then their craftsmen, with over 120 years of stained glass design and restoration experience brought the church's stained glass windows back to life.
3: WilletHauser.com Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org SamaritanMinistries.org
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Hi, this is Tom Laurie, your host for today. I'm with your guest mentor, or our guest mentor, Nancy Duarte, with Duarte Design. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us, all of you. Uh, Nancy, let's uh, talk a little bit about your book and your body of work around Resonate. What would you like to share with the audience about that, since I know that's very near dear to your heart?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's impossible to take a journey through storytelling, a real deep journey where you become a student of storytelling and not be changed yourself. And um, it's interesting, you know, I studied the greatest speeches of all time. I actually had a book. It was called The 100 Greatest Speeches of All Time. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take those and see if I can find any sort of pattern So how these people communicated and what made it so great. So, um, that was my goal. And once I took this three years, took me three years to just really go as deep as possible into storytelling, you know, what's a plot, how do plots apply to business? What's a business plot? You know, how, how do we apply storytelling to business that I literally woke up one day, just full, I just knew I was ready, and I told my husband on a Saturday, I'm like, I'm going to go in the office, dude, and I'm going to draw a shape, because if you talk about storytelling, people refer to a storytelling as having a shape, and we call it an arc, and, and it's drawn in various ways, but it's an arc, it, it comes to a climax, and then it resolves, like a denoma, like a, a res- resolution, and I thought, what, what's the shape of a great talk, and I wanted to figure that out after going through this journey through storytelling, after writing and producing some of the greatest speeches in business today, I sat down at my office after three years and I sat and I drew a shape. And I knew that I knew that I knew the shape was real. So first thing I did is I whipped out Dr. King's speech and then I had a transcript handy of Steve Jobs' iPhone launch speech, which I thought was fantastic. I thought if it works for Dr. King and it works for Steve Jobs, I might actually have found the shape And so I I started analyzing those talks to the shape, and sure enough, it does. And it has a building of tension and release to it, just like storytelling has that cathartic release. But in this case, in a presentation, that building of tension and releasing it comes from articulating the gap between what currently is and what could be. So as you describe today's realities, and then you compare it to the hope of the future, suddenly people are like, wait a minute, I I, wait, today doesn't look appealing and and your picture of tomorrow looks alluring i'm going to go there with you and that's what is the bulk of most persuasive talks is we're we're trying to get them to change a mindset or join a cause or you know fund something or uh something like that and so being having found this construct under which the most you know persuasive communicators have functioned over time it was like it was one of those moments like i i literally kind of fell on my knees and was like wow with much this is i have to be responsible with this because i gotta say the next thing i did the third person i analyzed was uh Goebbels speeches that he wrote for hitler and it was like could it be used for good and could it be used for evil and answers emphatically yes So it was just like, wow, I want to make sure this gets into the hands of the right people. And um, lives have been changed. I mean, I can't even believe the reports I get. Hey, Nancy, we did a half a billion more in sales this year because of your methodology. It's just like such an honor to get these little bits of fan mail and big, huge bits of fan mail. And, um, yeah, that body of work has really transformed uh, communicators uh, into great leaders. It's been fun.
1: And that book is Resonate, and it's available on Amazon for those people that would like to pick it up and have a good read. She also has Slideology and Illuminate, which I think you'll find equally valuable. What got you started on this path?
2: Yeah, I, I, one of my employees said it this way, and I and I, I agree. I, I feel like presentations found me. I mean, I did get that C- in speech communication, so I always felt like I loved you know communicating, and. We actually started, um, we dropped down here from a small town in Northern California and my husband was actually a technical illustrator. So we started that way and we were like the first people in the neighborhood to have a Mac. Yeah, we lived in a one room apartment with a shag carpet, but my husband, you know, worked his tail off moving furniture so he could get a Mac. So back then the people didn't have that. Uh, I don't know if you're old enough to know, but data charts used to be built with electrical tape and an X-Acto knife. Like... There was just no ability to do things digital. So we, back then, we were like young digital upstarts. You know, we saved all our money, poured it all back in the business. And then in 92, Apple was our largest client. It's been ever since. And we, um, they had a massive layoff. So all my devoted Apple clients scattered around the valley. And believe it or not, that was the best thing that happened to me because they took us with them. And Apple was the first company to hook up a computer to a projector at scale when projector technology, projection technology first emerged. So I fell into it. But it was in 2000 uh, when the dot-com crash was happening that I did my most counterintuitive move ever. The economy was crashing, and we did five things at the time. We did print, web, multimedia, presentations, and something else. I can't even think of it. And what I did is I shuttered the services of everything but presentations. So the economy is just crashing. I'm shuttering the doors on everything. But I decided, you know what? Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, came out. And he has a hedgehog concept. And in there it says if there's one thing you can do that you could be passionate about, be best in the world at, be profitable at, do just that one thing. So I shut the doors on everything. We decided to raise the flag high on presentations and decided we would completely change the marketplace. So all of that was like... That was just like this commitment Um, and we were talking about earlier about just get that fire in your belly and you're like I know that I know this is what we need to do and that was crazy crazy counterintuitive that's my entrepreneur move that was the most counterintuitive thing I've ever done was to stake a claim in this space
1: and what was the biggest setback that you had on this path as you were building the company
2: Um, setback is interesting I think I, I kind of one of my more painful things was when I decided to write the book, and and my employees at about 40 at the time, they were like looking at me like I was crazy. They were scared that I was giving away our secret sauce. And I believe that when you give, you receive. Like generosity always has some sort of payback. You know, it's just pay it forward, pay it forward. And so I remember, I I here I'm writing this book about you know design, and I'm not a designer, and so I would tap on the designers and, and I, they, would, they wouldn't turn in. We had brilliant work and they just I don't think they believed in the book enough to really believe it would be something. And So here I am on the weekends all by myself at the office just clicking on every folder on our server trying to find examples. <laughs> and then when it came out, my credibility you know, skyrocketed um, in my own shop, not meaning outside, but I think they didn't know I could write. I didn't know I could write. I had no idea if I could write. I didn't know if I could take this kind of body of work over the finish line. And I did. So I think that was kind of my most discouraging moment was when people didn't believe I could I could do it. Um, and now they do. I mean, now they see the impact of all our books and it's become a, an important mechanism uh, for our business.
1: Now, when you put a presentation together, it's my uh, belief that it's a collaborative effort. Uh, some yeah. people like to make it an individual effort, but what what quick comment could you make about the collaboration and what you get out of good collaboration? And who should be yeah. collaborating? You
2: know, that's been one of my biggest things um, as a leader. The way collaboration plays here, obviously, you know, I've collaborated around a book and other things. But believe it or not, when I'm doing an internal talk, um, when you're in a culture that is um creative uh, one one word choice can can send someone reeling i'm not saying i have this hypersensitive organization but i would post my slides and my notes and let a cross functional team look at the language i'm using and some will say don't ever use the word help i need your help so i need your support and i'm like are you serious are you really serious <laughs> you know and they're like yeah, last time you asked for help, it came across like da-da-da. I'm like, whoa, okay. Oddly, these weird and that's a really dumb example but they'll come in and I I load it up into Google Docs and they just come in and they comment and say, hey, I don't know if you meant to but this could be perceived like this if this was that intentional. And it just, what happens is it makes my talks much more frictionless and and they'll go in and comment and they're super gracious and we've learned how to give uh, critical feedback in a very objective and beautiful way. And so I listen to it I listen to it because they're walking in those shoes and it's really made a difference it's really made a difference for me as a communicator
1: when we come back we're with Nancy Duarte we'll come back and finish up in our next and last segment
8: attention salespeople are you struggling trying to make sales on a daily basis so you can earn more money and enjoy a better lifestyle are you sick and tired of prospects telling you they want to think about it and not being able to pay your bills end all that now by going to www.MinutesToSales.com and sign up for my free webinar hello I'm Jeff modern I regularly hear from salespeople and business owners who are struggling to get more sales because they don't know how to sell in a clear and convincing way and that was me when I started out in sales more than 35 years ago I knew I had a great product that made people's lives better But for some reason, I just didn't know how to tell people about it in a clear and convincing way. I couldn't even close the door, so to speak. But all that changed when I cracked the code. Since then, I've helped hundreds of people to understand the process and be able to sell at will. If you'd like to start making more sales immediately, sign up for my free webinar at www.minutestosales.com where you can experience for yourself my simple, amazing process and see how it instantly improves your sales ability. Go to www.minutestosales.com today and sign up for my free webinar. Talk to you soon
10: you need a break this august enjoy seven days at a stunning villa nestled in the hills of tuscany italy for a -a one-of-a-kind symposium you'll savor private walks in unspoiled countryside majestic vistas overlooking olive groves and vineyards a swimming pool tennis court and a private chef to delight your palate with the finest italian cuisine day trips to florence and Siena, insider tours of some of the world's greatest treasures in art and architecture lectures and seminars from world-class speakers including Dr. Michael Ashleman with National Review, Dr. Jeffrey Lehman of Hillsdale College, and noted art historian Monsignor Timothy Verdon, director at the Museum of the Famous Duomo in Florence. You'll experience relaxed, engaging discussions with like-minded new friends. Refresh your spirit. Awaken your sense of wonder. Go to TuscanyTrip.org to learn more. That's TuscanyTrip.org. TuscanyTrip.org.
4: Imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work. No commute, no traffic. You set your own hours, full-time or part-time. Your choice. Supplement your income, replace your income. It's up to you. Hopeinacan.com can help you get there. These aren't empty promises. When Catherine, a popular hairstylist back east, became ill and needed different work, she became part of the Hope in a can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near-retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now toll-free to learn more. 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-HOPE. Or go to HopeInACan.com. That's HopeInACan.com. HopeInACan.com.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Hi, this is Tom Laurie. Today, we're with Nancy Duarte from Duarte Design. And I want to remind all of you who may have tuned in late on this very excellent discussion about communications and messaging that you can go to our website, thementorsradio.com. And you can click on and hear past shows. They're archived there. Or you can go to iTunes. And we have the podcast. So it's available to you 24-7 after we air today. Nancy, on the, um, I got one big question is, when do you know when you give a presentation that you've hit the mark?
2: <laughs> you know, you know it. I mean, part of it is, I think, when I'm really killing it, I speak from a different place. Sometimes I feel like my message is coming from my head and other times it comes from my heart or I my chemistry kind of changes. I could actually tell and see it in the faces of the people. Um, I think I think that um, you get standing ovations. They physically react. They may laugh. They may clap. Those are like physical observations you can make you know are is are their eyebrows all screwed up are they sleeping are they like what are they physically doing are they are they leaning forward are they are they jumping back at the right time you know it all it all just depends on how you're delivering it, but the biggest way you know you've been affected is if you start to see change you start to see transformation like Every other week, I speak to my staff or other people do, and today was my turn, and it was fun to get back to my desk. I I kind of um, provoked them. I was a provocateur, you know, really wanting everyone to be an innovator, and then all of a sudden, my little inbox is just like, hey, have you thought of this? Did you consider that? Hey, check out this site. Hey, I'd love to be part of something. Well, that's how you know that you did a good job. It's just the reaction. The call to action gets... They do it. They do what the call to action is, and it's funny. Some people are like, oh, well, he talked. The Twitter universe... People tweet it, that's awesome. And for me, if the Twitterverse is silent during my whole talk but then explodes right after, that's better, that means I had their attention so well they forgot to pull out their device. That's what I love, I love that. Um, and so that's how I know um, that I've killed it.
1: A couple of quick fire questions and then we're gonna go to the close. Uh, Toastmasters, hmm. your love thoughts. Them
2: love them. They've been working at this for a long, long time. And if you want to work on your delivery and build a community around other people working on how they communicate um, and working to be better, it's a great organization.
1: And last, what is your where, where are you investing time today to grow? You, you're, you yourself, Nancy Duarte. Uh,
2: yeah. So I'm um I actually love uh reading anything and I read a lot. And right now what I'm realizing about myself is I've loved writing books, but I've taken a year off to write training material and I'm coming up with new ways to train. Like if you think about I always thought presenting and, and presenting and teaching were the same thing and they're very different. It wasn't until I built my training organization God, it's been almost nine years ago that I realized there's a really big gap. So I've been digging into this kind of training and learning and and systems. so I like, I don't know, I like to tackle topics and go real deep on them and become experts at them and then emerge with some sort of body of work from it. Um, That just energizes me like crazy. So I've been having a good time.
1: Hey, this has been great fun. I'm glad we were able to get you on the air. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, that's Nancy Duarte, Duarte Design. Her book is Resonate. This is Tom Lori. You've been listening to The Mentors. If you tuned in late, you can catch us on TheMentorsRadio.com. Join us again next weekend at this time for the next edition of the show. And until then, on behalf of my fellow co-hosts, Rick Brutico, John Phillips, I am Tom Lurie, urging you to be all that you can be and to keep the candle lit for those who struggle in the darkness.